when you were gonna get up? How long have I been out? I take a good five hours. Huh. I expected the Rocky Mountains to be a little rockier than this. I was thinking the same thing. That John Denver's full of shit, man. everybody welcome back to another week of muskies on tap i am your host gus manty we got on the line right now the other two co-hosts the mock crew as we like to say we got max manty and brian eckel boys how you doing tonight i am fantastic gus uh, a little bit musky starved right now got the itch pretty bad uh, as I'm sure you're very well aware with my multiple texts per day, checking in on you, seeing what's going on in the North Woods. Um, very much looking forward to our final, final send all together here in a few weekends. Uh, I think we got the November 18th weekend pegged for a very late fall uh, big musky hunt. So kind of counting down the days at that point. We're already on hashtag weather watch. Um, yep. hashtag weather watch hashtag weather watch just kind of seeing what's been going on i know that you've been able to pretty much fish fairly consistently throughout november so that makes me a little bit nervous in a way that you guys have gotten some pretty consistently warm temps because inevitably that bottom is going to fall out um but excited to share the boat with you again and of course our other amazing co-host Brian Eckel, who is with us here tonight. Brian, how's the weekend? How you doing? I'm doing terrific. Happy to be here tonight. Uh, looking forward to sharing this interview with everybody. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this last final musky send coming up here in a couple of weeks. Season really did fly by. It feels like not too long ago we were weather watching for our uh, pre-spawn send. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Checking launches, uh, making sure there's no ice and... Yeah, yeah, same thing. Yeah, it's hopefully we don't have 78 degree weather the day we decide to go this time around. But uh, (laughs) I I was a little, I was a little worried uh, last week when Gus sent a picture of some ice building up along the shoreline. So hopefully we're clinging to life. We'll be able to get out there. Gus, what is the uh, current state of the lakes up in northern Wisconsin right now? Uh, Current state as of. November 6th here. Uh we I not that I know of of the small, small lakes. There could be one or two that may be locked up, but today it was raining and it was like mid to upper forties in temp. I think it even touched 50. So if anything, if any lake got any ice, I think it's gone as of now. So don't fully quote me, but I think every single lake up here is open and gettable. Uh, that won't be the case soon again because all those small lakes that were starting to ice along the shoreline already have just such a cold temp. I mean, once they get uh, sub 40, pretty much all it's going to take is a, is a calm night below freezing, maybe two calm nights below freezing to uh, lock them up. But the large lakes are still uh, well above 45 degrees and even into the 47 plus uh, degree range oh, wow 
So mm. big chill in there. Yes, even some of the, the big systems, the Cisco spawn still hasn't even started. Um, I've seen some movements on some very uh, predictable Cisco spawn spots. And those clouds are moving in close as uh, the sun goes down each day. But they're they're not quite there on uh, some of those big systems. But I don't know. Yes, are, you, are, you got... are you keeping uh, you keeping an eye on these Cisco because you're going to try and catch them or, or I your head on that? I haven't tried to catch one yet, but I've seen the clouds. I need to uh, what I'm lacking on is getting a either a casting net or a a like a jig and wrap or like a little waxy and a jig or something like that on a rod. I don't have that dialed in quite yet so i i probably should this week because i think it's about to really start to go down on this uh new moon period that we're coming into on the weekend i can't remember which day's new moon it's like the 11th or 12th of november or something you should get a little little euro nymph set up and catch on like a size 16 hook yeah there we go (laughs) probably would work i wouldn't mind you dabbling a little bit with uh trying to catch some ciscos and hanging behind the boat before we get up there and it's total experimental time. So if you, if you got a free couple hours, go nuts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Might as well. I mean, yeah. I don't know if you guys want to do all the experimenting with me, but we'll see. We'll see. Absolutely. If, uh, we'll see if I get to that at all. That would be, that would be interesting for sure. I heard that they die a little bit quicker than a sucker. So we're going to have to be, swift with it and catch multiple it sounds like sign me up um before we dive in this awesome inter- here, interview here which uh definitely thoroughly enjoyed that conversation i'm excited for you guys to hear it we do give a, a few tips to the people that are still getting out on the water you said that these ciscos are sitting up and setting up in some predictable areas you just want to quickly flush that out for for people that are still trying to get out there and you know look for this type of action yeah yeah, on some of these bigger systems, uh, you're going to find that the Cisco's are going to spawn in shallow water. And that could be on shorelines, shallow topped out reefs, uh, island areas, anywhere that there's shallow enough water for them to spawn. I don't know specifically how shallow it needs to be, but I do know that they like uh, areas of like a sand gravel mix along with some fringe weed or whatever's left over. So look for that if you know the lake well. And if you don't know the lake well, just follow those clouds of bait. Uh, if, it, if it takes you a little bit of time to find the clouds of bait, that's okay because it's it's just what the muskies are following in that system. So if you're fishing a spot with none of that going on, you there might be no muskies unless there's a few there following some big schools of perch or walleye or crappie or something like that instead but if you're wanting the cisco eaters look for those clouds especially in that last hour of light uh whatever break line they're setting up on that's the that's the one that they're they're gonna go up on so uh those are my tips there on the cisco spawn and uh definitely wish everybody luck during that because that is a time you can find an absolute giant in a predictable area all right well let's key up this interview here uh with matt and see you on the other side sweet 
All right, everybody. We have on the line with us Matt Vavrock from Matt Vavrock Fishing. Really awesome to have you on here tonight. We're really looking forward to chop up some musky talk, whether that be Iowa or any of your other travels. So with that being said, if you want to maybe give a quick background on how you kind of got into fishing and a little bit about yourself and your YouTube channel. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Um, yeah, so I run Matt Vavrock Fishing. That's my YouTube channel. I do a little bit of guiding, but not very much at all. It's just kind of wherever I can fit it in. But primarily, I run the YouTube stuff, and I got into musky fishing uh, thanks to my father-in-law ruining me for life with my wife's family cabin up in Hayward, Wisconsin. It, it It's just a beautiful place to be. And uh, when you have a muskie crush like a 700 booger tail right at the boat in front of you, you know, the biggest bass in the world just doesn't quite do it for you anymore. So that was how I was introduced to the sickness. And um, yeah, I, I pretty much from the beginning fishing in, in Hayward at the family cabin, I was kind of like flabbergasted by what the muskies do. And, you know, some of the pike on those lakes and those kinds of things. And I was like, man, if I don't record some of this stuff, like no one's going to believe these things actually happen up there. So that was kind of how I got transitioned into the YouTube thing. I had an old GoPro from when I was in college and I was just like, oh, I'll just record some of, of those things for posterity and, and my own memory's sake just to have those to look back on. And then it just kind of spiraled out of control from there. So that's, that's kind of the history of how I got into musky fishing. And, uh, yeah, then I just kind of branched out to a variety of places and, you know, I'm originally from Iowa born and raised here. So we are very fortunate to have, uh, a very supportive DNR in, in terms of how, uh, they stock our lakes with fish. Uh, you know, there's some select lakes that they do. They don't do a ton of lakes, but the ones that they do, they do, an excellent job with and um we're very fortunate to have those bodies of water so from wisconsin i kind of branched back home to iowa and started exploring my own waters and doing my best to to figure things out down here as well nice so it sounds like you got some experience in northern wisconsin which we love um is did when you were making the change and starting to get it like have things pick up in, in Iowa, you know, was there any like stark differences right away that you kind of saw with how to fish, like between how you kind of learned to musky fish in Hayward. And then when you got things rolling in Iowa, was there a difference or was it just musky fishing is musky fishing and you just kind of went and figured it out. Same tactics or is it, is it how different is it? It just kind of depends on the body of water that you're on. I guess down here, there's some that are uh, a lot more dynamic than others and some that are, a lot more simple if that makes any sense at all but uh the bodies of water i fished originally in northern wisconsin were pretty heavily weed based and had that like beautiful green tobacco cabbage mm -hmm. so going from that to like you know basically reservoirs that have a lot of timber um you know some rock structure and then some weeds uh sporadically throughout the year so like a lot of our lakes down here have curly leaf pond weed which is an invasive which i mean I'm sure the DNR would say like, it's a terrible thing, but like from the muskie perspective, I don't really mind it because it provides those muskies cover, gives them oxygen, 
it gives fish like young of the year fish a place to hide. So then like it just is healthy for the system itself. And it makes those muskies a lot more predictable down here as well. But anyway, transitioning from like that tobacco leaf cabbage, that broadleaf stuff to like timber oriented lakes was definitely an odd shift for me at first. And, and there's definitely a learning curve there, but just kind of like beating my head against the wall long enough, I was able to figure a few things out and kind of build on those <laughs> things as time goes on. I'm pretty far from an expert, but I think just time on the water has taught me a thing or two. Yeah. Is, is there a, is there a few different strains of muskie that are throughout Iowa or what do you typically see or what does the DNR typically stock? So I'm like a huge musky nerd when it comes to the, the Iowa DNR stocking program. So initially what the, the DNR did down here in like the eighties and previous to the eighties was they stocked tiger muskies. But if you know anything about the, like the biology of tiger muskies, you'll know that they don't do particularly well in warm water temps. So um, the DNR discovered, you know, in the mid eighties that we were having like 80% mortality from those tigers that they were stocking. So wow. they abandoned they abandoned that program and then went to like the, the standard strain muskies, which, you know, there's places far further South than Iowa that those standard strain muskies are stocked, but initially getting those, those fish rolling, you know, a lot of our original fish are for, for lack of a better term, like our Wisco strain. Um, you know, there were times where the DNR would pull from other hatcheries, whether it be from like Pennsylvania or New York, there's some, some mix in there, but like very little, Primarily, our muskies were sourced from like the Spooner Hatchery, I believe, in in northern Wisco. And then uh, from there, basically what they do now is they pull broodstock from the Okaboji chain of lakes, as well as Clear Lake and Spirit, I believe. And then those fish are more or less the broodstock for all of the fish in the state. And I believe Missouri too, but don't quote me on that. Again, I'm not an expert. I just read like the DNR plan a long time ago when I was bored. Well, not sweet. a fisheries biologist. <laughs> that's that's all right. That's a you know hefty amount of info right there. I was gonna ask, did when they originally stocked those tigers, were they just doing that to bring a muskie program into Iowa, or were there some native lakes down there with already muskies? Um, if there were any native lakes, it would have been the Okaboji chain, but I don't really know for sure on that. Um, I think initially a lot of those tigers were meant to control like either rough fish or undesirable species where they were put into. Like I know a couple of the smaller lakes around my hometown where they were initially put in were to control like yellow bass and shad. Now I like one of those two lakes that initially had those tigers put in it only received pure strain muskies later on in, in the stocking cycle, if that makes sense. So, okay. And did they, it's just another question on this. Did, did, uh, the community, uh, in Iowa have a little backlash from the DNR putting, you know, muskies in all these lakes and stocking them, you know, maybe too heavily or not too heavily or, you know, bringing the, the muskie program down there. You know, I, I don't really, I can't really speak to that just cause I have not been muskie fishing all that long to be completely honest with you. I've only been really fishing muskies hard for maybe like six years and that dnr program i mean that reaches well back into the 80s and 90s okay so i guess i i can't really speak to the initial motivations of you know how people felt with muskies or not but 
speaking of strains of muskies too, there's only one, there's one private lake that has leech lakers in Iowa that I'm aware of. Otherwise it's all Wisco strain from my understanding. Okay. Interesting. Um, I know we're going to dive into some of your, your travels and, and your, um, you know, YouTube stuff, but I, I kind of want to stick on this Iowa thing just for a second because it, it's interesting to me. Um, your guys' season is extended compared to ours up here in Wisconsin, right? As I've looked at potentially going down there a little earlier, am I wrong on that? No, it it, uh, it never closes because everything is stocked. Even even the lakes that we have some natural reproduction in. Like I know that Iowa State did a study on like Okaboji, for example, in terms of natural recruitment from muskies. Um, reproducing there after being reintroduced and and the results were good but i don't think it's good enough to sustain the population again i'm not a biologist you'd have to cross-reference that with people who know a lot more about those things than i do but uh basically to answer your question all the all the lakes here are stocked you know year to year or bi-yearly in order to maintain those populations so as a result the dnr views uh, muskies is put and take basically meaning that since they're stocked and since they're put in there, um, there's no closed season because, you know, the natural reproduction on the vast majority of our lakes is so, uh, very low, but on the flip side of that, it's like every one that is naturally reproduced and like Jurassic park nature finds a way, you know, <laughs> that's just like one bonus fish, you know? Right. So, so are you, are you fishing, you know, 12 months out of the year? Is there a certain time when things, are much better or worse down there. I mean, I, I guess like we have such a finite season up here um, that we can kind of easily break it down, right? Like we have spring, summer, fall. You guys have this 12 month program working up there. I mean, or down there, I should say, you know, when do things kind of simmer down, pick back up? I mean, what's, what, how does that kind of lay out down there? Uh, totally. Um, so our season is continuous. However, we do have a shorter ice season than you guys. It just kind of depends on year to year. Like some years we'll have ice up the second week of December, and then that'll run through, you know, the last week of February. Some weeks we won't have ice until the first week of January. And then that'll run through the second week of March. It's, it's totally variable based on the year, but like, I know that I don't know if anyone really targets them through the ice down here. I know some people will incidentally catch them. Mm-hmm. But again, uh, basically from March until, you know, maybe the first, second week of December is, is pretty much your your window down here. Um, but that's variable depending upon the weather. And like, you know, there's a lot of guys that will target fish in the pre-spawn from March until April. And then, you know, sometime in April, usually the fish will have their spawn or mock spawn since they're not particularly good at reproducing here and then you'll have your your post-spawn bite after that you know may is usually pretty darn good and um just like you know you guys up north you know that september to october time can be really really productive uh down here too as we transition from those you know summer months into fall okay so you guys fishing that like pre-spawn bite because that's something i've kind of always wanted to do i mean by about I mean, obviously year round we're, we're thinking about wanting to catch muskies, but like there's a way for us. I mean, and we're, I'm in Minnesota. Those guys are in Wisconsin. Like we're not far away from Iowa and we've kind of danced with the idea of coming down there and, you know, eight, early April or whatever and checking it out. 
are you fishing like that time of year like you would in the late fall or is it like a spring bite up here where you're you know kind of using more of small baits and doing that whole deal or is it more of like a fall bite pre-spawn I think it just kind of depends. I know a lot of guys will run smaller glides and stuff in that pre-spawn deal. And, you know, I, I have not had a ton of success in the pre-spawn myself. I don't know if that's, I mean, that's probably just like a user error thing. Like I'm probably doing something wrong that doesn't stop me from beating my head against the wall every spring, but like, <laughs> of course not, yeah. I mean, I know that guys catch some serious fish in the pre-spawn. I just haven't been lucky enough to be one of those guys at this point. I mean, I've caught a couple, um, you know, but the ones that I've caught on, um, you know, one was on a six inch Jake and one was on, I, I think a Narcan glide. And then, you know, I lost one on a Joe Booker Rattler, um, one time too. So again, it's just, I don't know. And, and part of it too is, is one of, as those fish are transitioning out of the spawn, that's usually like turkey season down here. So I'm usually in the woods, you know, during that particular time so there's pretty much a weekend that's checked off right there so <laughs> you yeah. know it's just yeah. one of those things where that season is so short you got to take advantage when it happens and the muskies take a back seat at that point in time but yeah there's definitely a pre-spawn bite to be had depending on your lakes and, and where you're fishing and from my understanding some lakes are better than others with that pre-spawn bite and i think a lot of that relates to not only the bait but the depth in which the lake is uh situated like we've got some lakes that are a lot shallower and i think it's just easier for those fish to push up on those shallow flats or you know if those if those shad are trying to get warm pushing up into those shallow areas where they're trying to get warm quick and then those muskies just follow them up there yep that was that was actually my next question was if shad is your predominant forage that's what i kind of figured so unless you have a lot of it, it, fish it just kind of depends on the lake there's a couple that it's predominantly panfish there's a couple where yellow bass are the predominant forage there's a couple where shad are the predominant forage it just kind of depends on the lake and the way that it's managed i know that um a couple of the lakes we've got hybrid striped bass in and then muskies too and that the idea is that you know those predatory species will help control the shad to keep them from getting out of control and um yeah so usually if you find the bait you find the fish on those lakes for mm -hmm. sure oh yeah so i wanted to wanted to ask you uh how you formed your relationship with matt ridgeway because gus and i met him over the winter at the uh, wausau muskie Ex expo um great dude we got a couple baits from him um he makes some really cool baits really cool paint jobs on him so how did you meet him and um like do you fish with him a lot you know, it's funny. Um, we have talked about fishing a bunch and we've never actually made it happen. Um, <laughs> oh, man. But um, we've, you know, it was like the the year of 2020 and I just like happened across some old videos that he posted on YouTube of these crankbaits just getting absolutely hammered, like <laughs> boat side and stuff. Like, I don't know. I don't know if he still has them up on his on his YouTube channel, but I was just like, holy smokes, these fish are just losing their minds on these baits and that was like his original version and i think that uh so that was like 2019 or 2020 and he used a different wood than he uses now and those things are super heavy but it's funny because i got one of those original baits and i took it to this lake 
and it was a fairly new reservoir. So there's, you know, most, most lakes with like fallen timber, all of the, the side uh, branches and stuff have been either pulled off, fallen off, rotted off, whatever the case may be. But this lake was fairly new, fairly uh, impact, like new to being impounded. So all of that shrub brush was there. And I was like, Oh, you know, the water's whatever, 67 degrees, like let's throw a bucktail. And I got hung up three casts in a row. I'm just like, I don't know what the heck I'm supposed to throw through this stuff to, to get fish to engage. So I picked up his like original eight inch model. And this thing is just like this original eight inch that he has is legitimately heavier than the tens that he makes now. <laughs> um, and I start chucking this thing and it's just like bulldozing its way through these tree branches. And I, <laughs> I get a couple follows and eventually I finally get one to eat. It wasn't like a giant. It was probably like 35 or 36, but you know, it's one of those things where one fish makes the day and it was just cool to share a memory with uh, my wife. And then a good friend of mine was in the, just happened to be in the boat with me at the time too. So it just, just a cool memory to have. And, and I was pretty much sold on them since then. And you know, they're um, just, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Um, I'm, I'm just curious, like how you typically use them. Cause I've used them like in a straight retrieve, you know, sort of, sort of as a jerk bait, do you <laughs> troll them at all or. I, I have trolled them a fair amount. I have not had any success doing that as of yet. I usually, if I'm going to troll more, more baits than one, I try and have one in his spread just, just because, and, and because I know that they work, um, it, you know, being trolled. I know that some, some guys here in Iowa have had some success with that, but Oh shoot. I just blanked on what your question was. Uh, uh, more of like oh, a how, jerk bait for you or. Yeah, no, uh, how to work them. It's funny because I get asked that a lot and I, respond usually with such a cop-out answer where it's like um <laughs> i just like i try and make it look alive which is so it's such a cop-out but it's it's very true where i'm kind of like twitching it and kind of reeling it and then sometimes i'll do like i'll do this thing if you watch like glenn's video from 54 bust i i haven't uh put mine out yet i just haven't had time to edit it but like we're all kind of like work the reel and the rod at the same time and that'll allow that bait to dig a little bit deeper so where those fish are you know, sitting kind of below the line of sight, kind of just outside of um, the edge of light, if you will, you can get that bait a little bit deeper right to where those fish are. And that's, that's pretty much what was happening uh, in Canada where I got those two fish um, with Glenn that day. Cause it was like, I couldn't, you know, the water's crystal clear, but like I couldn't see the bait and I couldn't see the fish eat it. Whereas like when I could see the bait, you know, they were coming up and kissing it or just following it or whatever. So um, that seemed to be the difference. I don't know if that answer. I hope that answers your question a little bit. I mean, I can go into more detail with that. No, yeah, that was good. I've 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 mixed it up a ton with them, and we we have a weird crankbait bite this year where you can tell usually pretty quickly uh, if they're firing up on crankbaits or not. So I've dabbled the Ridgeway a good amount, but you know, still still looking for the first one to eat it. For sure, just keep chucking them. They will. They they pull big fish. I've I've caught some of the biggest and moved some of the biggest fish in in our systems here and in systems everywhere with with those baits. So just keep working them. They'll they'll work for you. I promise. <laughs> you got a a favorite paint job of yours for some of his baits? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's funny you say that because uh, probably the gold perch is my favorite by far. Um, so after I caught that first one on his twenty model he sent me a 20 or i bought a 21 from him and it was a golden perch one just because i you know he'd been catching on that 
and I, I'm not kidding you. I my third cast with that bait, um, I caught a 45 and a half inch fish, just nice. ridiculous. A six, nice. it was like a, a six foot weed flat that breaks into like 20 foot, and she was just there ready to chew. And it was funny because I talked to a guy like two days later, and he's like, "Ah, oh, I moved a really nice fish there the other day," and I was like. Yeah, I bet you did. <laughs> <laughs> I got a picture with her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I, yeah, I mean, it, it's cool because when those big fish hit it, they just try and pull the rod out of your hands. It's it's awesome. So yeah, dude, getting smashed on a crankbait is it's a fun feeling. It's up there with one of the cooler strikes uh, to get musky fishing. Um, so I want to change gears a little bit uh, to your YouTube stuff because we. We recently had Ben Stone on, and, and this was something I was hoping to to kind of get at you about, too, because I'm always curious, like, you know, you go from just filming these adventures or filming your times out there to all of a sudden, like, eventually it transitions into, like, a YouTube channel with a shit ton of followers. So when did that, like, change happen, that you started actually making these, like, videos and... What were your thoughts on it at first? Like, was it, did you have the goal in mind to like grow this big YouTube channel or was it always just kind of like, Hey, I'm doing this for fun. I got this creative side to me that I kind of want to just explore, um, and use it as an outlet. Uh, and, and then all of a sudden it just took off or like kind of take us through that. I'm, I'm always curious to kind of hear about how that went down. You know, that's, that's interesting. Cause Ben and I have fished together a bunch and I, that dude, he's just awesome. And mm -hmm. he's just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the videography side of things and just a really good stick as well. Um, I guess I, you know, to pinpoint it, I don't really have a good answer for you on that. It just kind of became a monster that grew kind of out of control. And just before I knew it, I had, <laughs> you know, guys that were like, Hey, you want to try and check this bait? Like it, it, it'll work for you. It works for me kind of thing. And I, I think kind of at that point, I was just like, huh, well, this is kind of strange. And I think one of the biggest goals for my channel definitely is to bring attention to some of these like smaller batch guys uh, who are just like working stuff in their basement, you know, kind of like Matt, um, like Bucko, all of these guys that, you know, they have these like really awesome, unique baits that fill very specific niches that maybe some other baits that are production run don't necessarily uh, fit into as well. And I think just bringing attention to those guys or, or trying to bring attention to other guides um, in the industry that like are just, you know, kind of trying to get their feet off the ground and get up and running. Um, you know, I think of, of Taylor Flannery, for example, I believe he's uh, from your guys' area, you yeah. know, just randomly, messaged me the one time you know we had talked a little bit on tiktok and he's like oh come over you know to where i'm at and i'm like geez man that's like it's like two hours from hayward <laughs> but you know i on a whim i just join him and then you know we bang two awesome fish in a day and it's like okay well this guy definitely knows his stuff um yeah so he he's a good uh stuff. yeah he he's a great dude he came down and stayed with me last spring and uh just absolutely um put on a clinic behind me all weekend long with a, a phantom so <laughs> yeah we uh he, he sent me a snap of that uh that specific phantom later in the season when it when it bit the dust and you know we said a little prayer and and, and set it to rest so but yeah i guess um I don't, I don't really know i don't have a great answer for you on that one i think it was just one of those things where the platform kind of developed on it kind of for lack of a better term, I hate, I hate to use this term, but just organically on its own. And just, I think 
hopefully people identify with what I do. I just like try and, and, and be a guy who just, you know, goes out on the weekends. I try and put something together and hopefully people can relate to that. Cause I don't have a ton of time. Like I've got a, a full-time job. I'm a, I'm a teacher by day, which allows me some more time in the summer for sure. But when the school year's going, I have very little flexibility. So what do you teach? Yeah, I don't I teach high school social studies. So nice. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. That's uh, I, I mean, I clearly people have resonated with it. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, a large, a large channel. I've really enjoyed watching the videos. I mean, I'm, I'm a big sucker for that shit. So uh, greatly appreciate and, uh, it. Yeah. You're doing a great job and it's, it's always just cool to see, like, it, it's just so interesting to me that, you know, like a guy like yourself, like you just, you said you started really like seriously fishing six years ago and it's like, you start to get the hang of it and then you start putting some stuff on film and then next thing you know, thousands upon thousands of people are just tuning in to watch your videos. Like it's gotta be, it's gotta be a little bit like, Whoa, what the heck is going on at times? Like, how did this happen? It's it's a weird thing to be completely honest with you. And then as um, you know, our family's growing, we've got little Willow who's nine, almost 19 months old now, like my time to edit and my time to do all these things is, is changed drastically so trying to find time for all the things not to mention fishing and spending some time outdoors just hunting or doing whatever is is tough so gotta give credit to my wife for being an absolute rock star and, and her family too for you know helping support us when we've got stuff going on so it, it's yeah it doesn't happen on its own let's just put it that way <laughs> no, it's, it's not easy it's it's um it's a crazy it's it's crazy how time consuming this sport can be you know it's it's tough like if you're if you're doing a trip or even going out for a day like on a home body of water you're out there grinding you know if you're trying to put a video together like it's hard to just sneak out for 45 minutes and go catch a fish or two that's just not how it works right you know it's it's not easy. yeah so totally i i can relate to that and i'm i'm also very blessed to be surrounded by just like a really good circle of dudes who also happen to be just really good sticks i mean you guys have seen them on the channel before like barry and connor and jaron and all and all these guys that i fish with i mean i could just like list them you know keep the list going for forever and um it, it it's very fortunate that i've got not only good friends to lean on and, and Taylor and some of these other guides that I fish with, but, but also just like having those dudes who know what they're doing. So then it just like increases that productivity. Cause you guys know that like every line in the water is just another opportunity to catch a fish. And when you're trying to make something happen, you know, more lines equal more opportunities, more opportunities equal more fish, more fish equal. Well, I guess for me, more content or for Ben or Brian or whomever. So Mm -hmm. Those are all good things. So, um, speaking about trips and taking, you know, time away and everything, I, I do want to get into some of your travels and kind of ex explorations. Um, any, any big highlights from this year, any trip that really stood out? I mean, I think I recently watched your video on Mille Lacs. Like what, I mean, what got you to be like, man, I'm just going to go take a trip up to Mille Lacs. Like that's, <laughs> it's not a very easy body of water to just randomly pop onto for a few days. Uh, no. Um, you know, that's funny. Uh, I've, I've been very fortunate to travel all over the place. I go, you know, like I said, the family cabins in northern Wisconsin. Um, so I spent a lot of time there circling around a variety of lakes, both in the Hayward area and then the Vilas area, Oneida area as well. 
uh, thanks to some friends um, in that region. But like the Mille Lacs thing, I'm very fortunate to be good friends with Connor. Connor was like, uh, hey, you should come up here for opener and and hang out and, and see if we can catch some giant fish. And, you know, the plan just kind of came together perfectly. Our, our timing couldn't have been better. And just like, you know, it's one of those rare instances in muskie fishing where literally everything just worked, which was super cool. And then, you know, just as the channel has grown as my like platform, I guess I hate to use that term because it's just weird to me, but as that has grown, you know, it's easier to justify branching out a little bit more. And I, I kind of follow the template of like Brian Scaife, for example, you know, he's always like looking for the next adventure and trying to branch out and bring something interesting to uh, his audience. So I'm, I'm just trying to follow that mold. Like, so this summer I went to Canada, which was just the just a spectacular trip I, I got to spend a ton of time there with connor um i got to spend some time in the boat with glenn a 54 bus like we just had ourselves a day there i think we went like i think it was five for seven just in oh, man. I, I i don't think we fished more than six hours it was just ridiculous they were just chewing and then you know i went back to lake of the woods and was fortunate to fish with um thatcher from drop time tackle of course, um, the muskies were being muskies when we went to Lake of the Woods. You know, the the lodge owners that we were staying at was like, yeah, groups of guys, they were, they were catching 20 fish last week in, in two or three days. And, you know, we got like one opportunity while we were there. <laughs> you know, you know, it's like it's a bad sign when so Thatcher from Drop Time used to guide full time walleyes and muskies up there before he kind of got into the, the bait making side of things and it's a bad sign when, <laughs> when he's basically guiding you the whole day and he's like, yeah, I've just never seen things quite so slow up here. It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, leave it, leave it to me and Barry to stop by for a couple of days. And the muskies just completely shut down. I mean, we saw <laughs> a, a wealth of really nice fish, but just getting them to snap was, it was tough. And I mean, that's just the reality of muskie fishing. Um, it was super frustrating because it's like you want everything when you plan these trips to work out perfectly and and just go according to plan because you see, you know, guys on YouTube just crushing fish in the figure eights on on Lake of the Woods and, you know, whether it's Doug Wagner or whomever else on Lake of the Woods. But then, you know, the reality of it is, is you still got to get out there. You got to figure stuff out. And uh, unfortunately, too, like, it just happened that like my buddy Barry had a work emergency. So our time got cut down there, but like Thatcher was, uh, was super awesome and took me out for another half day, but like, you know, he's got obligations too. So yeah, it just, you, you take that time away and then like things don't quite work out the way that you want them to. And it's just kind of a perfect encapsulation of the frustration of musky fishing and those kinds of things and like losing uh, the biggest one that you have a shot at up north. I haven't started editing that yet, but I'm like dreading it because that like fish was just so painful. Um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's definitely that's the tough. pros and cons of filming yourself is when you get an epic moment on camera. It's probably like a crazy high. I mean, it is. We've you know we've experienced. We film our stuff at most of the time and getting a cool footage shot's like an epic high. But then. You got to relive a, a missed opportunity, especially if, you know, maybe you could have done something differently or whatever. And it's a, you know, I'm using quotations, a learning experience and that's how you got to justify it, but still freaking sucks. I mean, and then you got to watch oh, it yeah. and edit it and <laughs> watch it again and again and again. And I mean, it can be a, a 
a tool to learn for sure. And I know a lot of guys like Ben and Brian have, have said that as well. And it was for this fish too. I mean, you're talking a, a four foot class fish in Canada and just absolutely inhaled the angry dragon right at the boat in front of me. I set the hook and I set it the wrong way and two head shakes and it was gone. What I didn't realize till I slowed the footage down was that basically when it ate the, ate the lure, it started loading the rod in one direction. And the direction that I set the hook was the opposite direction, which in the moment, like when you're just reacting feels correct. But then you watch the footage back slow and you're like, oh, I basically just unhooked that fish on my own with my hook set. So that's pretty far from ideal. But again, you'd never know those things without, you know, being able to play, play the footage back more slowly. Oh, it's, it's crazy how quick it happens. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the uh, what we like to call a musky blackout where it just happens so fast. You got no idea. <laughs> and, uh, and then you just forget everything. Cause it's like, you'll, you'll be like, Oh, I just caught that fish in the eighth corner of the figure eight or something like that in the moment. And then you look back at footage, you're like, Oh, I caught it on the second turn. <laughs> like you think it would run around <laughs> yep. for an eternity or something like that. Cause I know off the top of totally. my, my head, I'm thinking of one, uh, fish that I missed, uh, this summer. I thought it inhaled the entire bucktail. And I look back at the footage and it was like, it, it didn't even touch the bait. Like I thought it inhaled it and I set the hook and I look back at the footage and it never, I should have just started the figure eight. I completely screwed up. <laughs> that was, that was a funny one. We we always get them where like when we catch one, be like, Oh my God, inhaled it right when it hit the water. And then you'll look back at the footage and you were like three pumps in or whatever. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Plus they hit yeah. him on the head. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, going off the filming stuff, like <clears throat> talking about catching and, and muskies being muskies and having trips that, you know, you kind of have a, a harder time getting them to go. I mean, do you feel, has there been any part of you that it, it's been, you know, I don't want to say like it's taken away from the experience at all. Cause that's not the right words, but like just the added pressure of like, okay, I'm, I'm going up to Lake of the woods. You know, obviously you're going to enjoy yourself. Like you're spending time on the water fishing for muskies, but like, is there a layer of added pressure now that you've got this like channel that you're like, man, I going up to Lake of the woods, like got to go shoot a really cool video should probably catch some fish to show people. Like, is that, is that a thing for you that you deal with or do you not, do you not really think about it much? I I try not to, but I think, I think that trip, I definitely felt it more than most, especially like leading like Lake of the woods was the third stop. And like leading up to that point in time, I was more or less averaging, you know, enough content for a video a day. And, you know, we had just had that awesome day with Glenn, which is going to be probably two videos worth for me. I think he wrapped it into one, but I'll probably break it into two because we caught one. I went out that morning and we got one early before I met up with Glenn later in the day. So anyway, that's neither here nor there, but like just having that leading up to it and then just, you know, experiencing the dead sea phenomenon more or less like we had a shot at one fish and and my buddy barry got a really nice pike up there but you know that doesn't really move the needle as far as content is concerned and there's a good chance i'll if i can find some time to edit it and put it out there like it, it's definitely a good opportunity for a, a keeping it real video like uh brian scape just put one of those out this past week where you know he didn't catch a muskie had some really nice pike had some opportunities but you know it's muskie fishing so but I think um, the reason maybe more so than anything, you know, feeling pressure up there was just like time away from from my family, 
And it's like, I'm, I'm taking this trip specifically to not only catch fish and experience this like once in a lifetime deal, but then be able to provide this content for people who enjoy, you know, watching my videos, following my adventures kind of thing. And it's just like, not only am I letting those people down, I'm letting my family down because it's like, well, I should have just went home earlier because like nothing is happening. So yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if that necessarily answers your question, but like uh, most of the time when I'm just going out on my own, I don't really, um, I don't really care that much because it's just like, oh, you know, if I don't get them this weekend, we'll get them next weekend. But I think that like with the trips thing, there's definitely an element of like desire there that's heightened a little bit more than normal, especially like going to Canada, knowing that it's not like, you know, they're seeing 20 bass baits and three musky baits on, you know, my milk run of spots down here in Iowa or in Wisconsin, you know, the, the pressure up there is just different. So, mm -hmm. you know, when it, at the end of the day, muskies are, are going to be muskies, but I suppose like, it's just, you know, the universe equalizing in a way that the Minnesota trip in the spring went about as well as it probably could have. And then the Canada trip still went really well, but there were elements of it where, it's like, uh, it just didn't quite work out the way that I had envisioned. So, I mean, honestly, I think you, you answered the question beautifully because it's something that resonates with me a lot. Um, you know, it's something that Gus and I, you know, it's not like we, we, uh, differ on it by any means, but it's like, we're, we're just at two different stages where, you know, he's out guiding, he's fishing every single day. And so like he's, he's in the mix. Right. And like for me to go up North and put a weekend together, like you're saying, it's time away from probably work, you know, friends, relationships, all that stuff. And so when you come away empty handed, it kind of adds a little bit of an extra sting. Cause you're like, man, like the mm -hmm. whole goal is to go up and catch fish. And I've tried my best to kind of rework my thinking on it. Just like, all right, it's, you know, a great weekend, regardless you're up, you're hanging with your boys. It's fun. But yeah, I, I feel that like it resonates with me when you're like, it, it's a little extra pressure. Cause you're kind of, you're, you know, you're not, you're not forgetting about your responsibilities back at home or anything, but it, it, it is what it is. Like you're taking time away, you're doing these trips, you're doing them for yourself to, you know, kind of explore the passion. And when they don't go well, it, it's kind of like, God damn it. Like I really wish totally. this would have gone a little better. You know? So yeah, no, I get that. And, and some of my mentors have kind of explained musky fishing in like this progression too and i think that that kind of applies to it in the same way where it's like you get into the sport and you're just like i want to catch fish they're as big and as mean as they come like they got teeth they're cool like the odds of me catching a fish over 20 pounds over 40 inches is much higher than like anything else so i want to catch fish and then it becomes like i want to catch multiple fish because these fish are just a blast and like they're the hardest fish in freshwater to catch maybe the hardest fish in the world to catch and if i can catch multiple fish then it showcases how good of an angler I can be. And then from there, it's like, I want to share these experiences with someone else and, you know, be able to catch fish with other people and they catch fish in my boat. And then from there, the progression is like, I want to allow other people to catch these fish with me. And like, I don't care if I catch or not. And, and I think it's just, and, and that's kind of a part of, you know, wrapping into those trips thing. Like this is the first time that I've really planned a musky trip to go somewhere else and take that time away. So I think maybe I should allow myself a little grace to mature with the, the musky trip thing. And hopefully I, I have more in the future and can build on those experiences. No doubt. So are there any, 
any trips for 2024 that you got your eyes on quite yet? Any destinational type things you got in the works or are you just going to kind of take it as they come throughout the winter? Um, I think Minnesota opener is, is already on the books once again for when that goes down. Um, I think Canada is in the works as well. Now how that manifests, there's a couple ways that it could, uh, change the dynamic a little bit there but we'll kind of wait and see on that um northern wisconsin's always a thing because like the family cabin i mean being able to just walk down to your boat and go out and fish is one of the most you know just gratifying <laughs> wonderful experiences on earth <laughs> and yeah. like mm-hmm. um but also it can be like super frustrating too uh like my last week in hayward this summer for whatever reason it just seemed like the dead sea and i had you know i went from like catching a fish in the figure eight to like moving a couple fish to just like not seeing fish for three or four days. And then, <laughs> you know, I moved a couple of fish and I'm like, Oh, I can go back on these fish, except I can't because we got to leave tomorrow. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, especially on bodies of water that, you know, really well, that, that kind of dynamic can be frustrating when you're fishing, you know, basically every day granted in those scenarios, like on the family cabin situation, it's like, the fishing is kind of a, a backseat to family time and spending time with one another versus like, I'm going to go out and grind it for, you know, 16 hours. I think that it's kind of a misnomer with some of those videos where I'm like on the water for, you know, eight or 10 hours a day. That's it's very rare when I'm at the family cabin that I'm on the water that long. Uh, most days it's somewhere between three and five hours. So like, again, you know, it's great to have that time and have, you know, an idea of what's going on day to day, but you've got essentially 11 other hours of daylight where that window could be happening and you might not be in it. So, right. So let's talk some Hayward. I mean, is so you said that that's kind of where you got going. Um, like it's just been a place that's been in the family and you've just been going up there since you were a kid or. So my wife's family, I believe, acquired the property in 69, and then they built the cabin in 70. Um, so I didn't really experience the northern Wisconsin thing until I started dating her, I want to say. And I think the first time we went up there together was in 2016. And then that was kind of my introduction to, to muskie fishing and, and those kinds of things. Like, I knew muskies existed before then, but I... I fished a lot of bass stuff down here in Southern Iowa. Um, we, we have hybrid striped bass, which are a lot of fun too. Um, there's a ton of bass tournaments that, you know, that take place throughout the year. One of my good friends from high school and I, we're very fortunate to have a lot of success with that, especially through the Federation and being able to fish the, the Bassmaster team championship one year. But like, it, it's hard, it's hard to, uh, chase the, chase the bass or even the wipers when the top end of those fish is like, you know, five, six pounds and, you know, you can catch a 40 pound muskie. So (laughs) it's just, (laughs) I I just struggle to talk myself into it at times. So yeah, Uh, don't get me wrong. I still like getting out with my buddies and stuff, bass fishing from time to time, but it does not happen nearly as often as it used to. Hayward's cool, man. I mean, that's like, when you go there, it's, it's, I love what I love about Hayward is they like lean into the musky thing. Like every bar totally. you go to, there's mounts, there's stories, there's whatever. I mean, that's, I think it's great. I mean, I obviously Brian, Gus, and I grew up fishing Vilas County, and that's where we all got the addiction. But I think we always kind of credit our trip to, you know, we took a 
trip on a whim one weekend to Hayward, like, Hey, let's mix it up. Brian and I were living in Minneapolis at the time. Gus is in Eagle river. We're like, let's meet halfway. We, you know, did the whole, all right, what lake should we go to? Let's do some research online, you know, and kind of stumbled across some water that we wanted to fish and broke it down all that shit and booked a little motel room. Actually that first time no, we did, yeah. slept yeah. in the truck. First time we did I, that, we slept in the cars. Um, <laughs> and I think it's made that trip so great and like, yeah. so memorable. I don't know. I mean, it definitely like kind of spiked our itch to, you know, adv- adventure more out of Islas County, but sleeping in the car was <laughs> I think in, the it du- did. In, the, in the garbage area. Yeah. The in the dumpster lot. Yeah. When it was <laughs> super hot out mosquitoes flying around your head at night it was a quite the experience middle of july (laughs) yeah (laughs) we uh we would like okay so the story goes where we had set up this trip like for two like two weeks in advance we're like we all got the weekend open and then the week of we're like well shit we should probably find some lodging we're like oh we'll figure it out when what was going on gus there was like some convention that was going on in town uh there was uh I think like a a whole, oh, I could get this wrong. Something like a big Native American bash going on. Like the whole town of Hayward was just juiced. Like every everywhere was yeah, yeah. All the campsites were full. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think yeah, I they have. This... Uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, they have like several events throughout the summer because they've got like the Musky Fest and then the Lumberjack Championships and then I think like. The Ojibwe have a huge powwow every summer too, and there's just That's like it. constant stuff going going on throughout the community, which is super cool when you're up there a bunch uh, to experience all those different cultural things. And like, I totally agree. Like the the cultural heritage, the richness of the history, it, it's just really hard to beat, and it makes those experiences you know ten times cooler up there because it's just like where it happened for so long. Oh yeah, like you got the you know quote-unquote world record musky being yep. caught there and, <laughs> yeah um, that's in a bar yeah, yeah, yeah it's 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 got to be real it's hanging up in the bar but yeah like that week we were trying to find lodging and we're like man we can't find anything so we were about to kibosh the trip we we're like oh that's such a bummer like we were all fired up for it and then gus was calling around and some lodge owner was like i mean we don't really have a campsite but if you guys want to sleep in your cars like we have a little bit of an outlot we showed up, there was like, like we were saying, there's like dumpsters all around. I mean, the lodge was awesome. He's like, yeah, I mean, if you just promise me you'll come and eat dinners and drink beer here, like you guys can stay. And <laughs> we literally were able to tie up our boat, charge it, everything right out the dock of the lodge. We're staying there for essentially free. But we got treat we got treated like royalty. And yeah, yet we slept by the dumpster, but I mean everything else was just incredible. <laughs> we drank beers after we get we'd fish from like five a.m. to nine thirty ten. Yeah, and uh, and then we'd go to the bar and hang out with the owners. And then I was like, this is that was like the trip I think that really got the juices flowing of like, okay, we want to do this like all the time. <laughs> that's awesome yeah it's a cool place for us and obviously you know gus and i were just up there on the chippewa flowage for the pmtt which was uh was a lot of fun um it was a little bit stressful <laughs> a little stressful at times but it was a blast <laughs> and we i know that you've dabbled out on the chip so i mean do you you got any good good memories out there any good wisconsin memories up in hayward for fishing wise I I've got more memories in that 
kind of region of Wisconsin and musky wise than probably most, most guys would have, you know, fishing all around here for most of their lives. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the chip is such a interesting and, and dynamic fishery and, and just the way that it's like at the lake, but it almost fishes more like a river and just there, there's just spots on spots. You can just like keep going. And then, you know, it, it's crazy too. You can stop at an Island and it's like, well, this, this looks good. And then there's nothing going on there. And then you hit a random one and, you know, bang a 42 incher and it's like, you know, what's different, but something's different. And yeah, I mean, that, that it's such a cool body of water. I mean, there's so many cool bodies of water. It's like you can fish water that's got 25 foot of visibility there. You can fish water that's got like two foot of visibility or less. And, you know, there's there's lakes with, with giants. There's lakes with numbers. It just all kind of depends on what you're looking for and what you want to experience. And, you know, real, realistically, just having the cabin up there and spending time with family and, and putting family members on fish and just doing those things and you know there there is a little bit of satisfaction to the the fact that like you know uh my wife's family introduced me to the sport but then like now i'm i'm like the guy that they go to like okay matt where where are the fish at like what are we doing today kind of thing and (laughs) um you know that that's kind of a cool thing and you know it's just it's just a cool, cool deal, um, to be able to share those moments and memories and, and catch fish, put people on fish, make memories. Um, yeah, it, it's really neat. I hope that like maybe someday I could do a little bit of guiding up there on some of our water. If, if I could ever hammer down our schedule on a consistent basis, but I don't know, we'll worry about that when the time comes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I guess as like a teacher, you know, that's probably a, some sort of a option down the road. Yeah, it, it totally is. It just kind of depends on like the the availability and flexibility that we have going on because it never seems like we get up there the same week of the same year, depending on, you know, all the random things that we have going on uh, back at home. And then, you know, that doesn't really bode well for, you know, trying to plan things in, in that way and coordinate things. Like if someone's trying to book a trip, you know, six months out and you're just like, well, I might be there the second week of June. That doesn't, (laughs) that doesn't work. So (laughs) when, when I get a solid schedule figured out, that's when I'll, I'll get more serious about it. So not to mention there's some serious sticks up there who know a lot better (laughs) about that, about the bodies of water up there and the region itself than, than I ever will. So yeah. yeah. Hayward is, I feel like Hayward and, and the Vilas County area are definitely notorious for kicking out some really, really good anglers. And I think that, I think a reason just like from an outsider perspective is because there's so much diversity there that like, it kind of forces you to become not a one dimensional angler. Like oh, totally. you, you have to be, you have to adapt to kind of what the bite is and what's going on. And like you were saying, even, you know, like take the chip, for example, it's like one, you know, body of water, but there's, I mean, what do you think, Gus? I mean, how many different types of lakes are in the chip? You oh, know, it like, like six, five, I don't know, <laughs> sections, 12. I don't, it, it was I mean, crazy how different yeah. it was. Got to be one of the most visually intimidating bodies of water, I think. I've not, we've not been, we've not musky fished in Canada, but at like Lake of the Woods, I've heard, you know, that's, it kind of is like that but 
it felt like when we were there, it was one of the most visually intimidating. Like you were saying, you know, there's just spots on spots where it's almost like information overload. Hard. It's a hard mm-hmm. body of water to, to break down in a short amount of time. That's for sure. Yeah. There's definitely spots on the chip that remind me a lot of, of the shield type stuff for sure. Having been there now this year. Have you been to Vermilion? I have not. I, I drove right by it on my way to Canada though. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be that tough for me to do. I, I was just like, huh, a little out of body experience for a second there. Dude, there, I don't think I can ever explain the feeling I had driving when we went up to the PMTT at Vermilion. And when, like, you kind of come up this road and where we were staying, you know, you like make a turn around the corner and, like, you kind of, as Gus and I were talking about, like, you know, when you're driving through Minnesota, like, there's not that same kind of feeling you get when you're driving up to Vilas County. Like you're not just like in this, you know, tunnel of trees and you're not seeing a lake every, you know, when you're driving it, when I drive to Vilas County, I drive past 35 lakes on the way to the cabin. You know, it's like, it's musky country, but when you're going to Vermilion, it's just like nothing, nothing, nothing. And all of a sudden you like make this one turn and it's like, there she is. You're just like there, you're like, (laughs) holy shit. And you start kind of getting that like feeling like, (laughs) oh my God, that's how I I was like, I, I don't know if I'll be able to really replicate this feeling. I mean, it's a cool, it's a cool body of water. I would highly, highly recommend, you know, it's no secret, but it's, it's definitely fun to fish. I think that's the the great tragedy of musky fishing is there's so many cool places to go and there's just never enough time to make it all happen. <laughs> never enough time. I know. And like, you gotta, you want to do like some exploration stuff, but you also want to hit the stuff that like, obviously is known to be great and like balancing all that's just not not an easy task <laughs> no it is yeah. not and uh speaking of like branching out and stuff uh, i kind of want to talk some baits here do you have maybe and if it's way too hard to pick one or two you can say three or whatnot from this year what were some like outliers on like oh these things are producing or this is a very cool bite or just kind of like a, a different bait worked in a different way that produced well for you this year? Like what are some of those? Hmm. Yeah, that's uh that's a great question. Um, probably like, do you mean like top baits or do you just mean like mm. kind of off the wall, like you know, a random thing that worked really well that I thought might, but didn't, or, but, but like didn't anticipate it working as well as it should have, or. Um, I don't maybe know. Maybe a couple I mean, of each. Yeah, I was going to say a couple okay. of those each, like smaller your, company baits. Maybe not everybody knows. Yeah, the smaller company okay. baits and then also a top bait from the year or something like that. Sure. Okay. So, yeah, like uh, one that kind of caught me off guard that I figured would work really well um, was the uh, Top Line Dipstick XL from Adam Muller at Top Line Baits. Um, I threw that in northern Wisconsin. And I, I kid you not, the first two spots I threw that bait on, I got bit. I lost the first one. Second one I got, it was a beautiful 37 inch tiger. And it's like, you know, I, I didn't really know what I was doing. I just started ripping it around and it just worked. Um, but the beauty of that bait is it, it gets down into that, you know, edge of light, like Steve Herbeck kind of talks about at that eight to 10 foot range. And it just sits there. So it's like, you've got this, you know, 11 inch suspending jerk bait that sits in a part of the water column that most dive and rise baits don't even get to in the first place. And it just hangs out there. And that one, you know, I, I figured it would work. It looked too good not to work, but 
I did not anticipate it working nearly as well as it did. So that was a cool one that kind of caught me by surprise. You know, in, in the spring, I, I moved a lot of fish and had a couple of heartbreakers on, on the six inch bucko. Um, you know, it's just kind of a, an interesting diving rise because it's got a really big profile to it. And my buddy, Justin, who fishes the mad chain a lot, like just absolutely crushed on that thing this spring. And he, you know, he had a lot of luck with it and he's like, you got to check this thing. And, you know, he talked me into it and then I lost two that day and won the next day on it. And, Ooh, you know, it is what that, it is, but <laughs> you say that, oh, that's definitely a bummer. You said it's like a, like a wide body or big bait that, yeah, it's, it's got, it's just really fat. Like it's just a really fat profile for a mm. dive and rise that like, you know, the Navins work and I had a lot of luck with those this spring as well, but it's just such a narrow profile that the bucko just kind of offers something a little different. I don't know if it moves. I assume it moves more water down there, but it just kind of wobbles and dips and dives and does weird stuff. And the muskies key in on it. I had like, I had like hybrids coming after it on one of the lakes I fished it on. And they're just like trying to figure out, I think what the heck it was down there. (laughs) (laughs) Is it real or not? (laughs) It was just so strange that morning. And you know, the water's so clear sometimes in the spring that you can see some of those things happening that you wouldn't be able to otherwise. I'm just like, these fish are just doing weird stuff down there. Sometimes those like really erratically moving baits are just awesome for bites, but man, the hookup on them can be tough like real tough yeah and and another thing with that when you're saying like wide body what i was like what's coming to my mind is like maybe it's because they can't clamp down super well on it enough like it's Mm -hmm. like it's a lot of bait moving around that they can kind of like i don't know what the word i'm looking like throttle away yeah they can shake it away kind of like the difference between it gives it leverage it leverage yeah yeah. more leverage like how people say a hookup percentage on a tube is really good because they can squish it as opposed mm-hmm. to like a, a Dusa or a dog where it's just fully hard, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes that could be it too, but definitely something new or different in the water is, is definitely important because it sounds like it gets a decent amount of pressure in your Iowa lakes. And I'm sure it's here and there in the Hayward where you fish for pressure mm-hmm. wise. Yeah. I'm always, I'm just always looking for, an edge just something different just something unique to throw that maybe not a lot of dudes have access to or aren't able to get over the counter as easily which again i, I acknowledge the the privilege that kind of comes with some of those baits that i have access to that maybe some people do not but again like probably my top producer this fall was the ridgeway and then like overall um you know the Dusa was a, a huge one again for me this year just you know, you guys had Jeff Vandermortel on. I listened to that and just like, you know, it's it's interesting because you guys can relate to this being from Wisconsin and knowing the Wisconsin thing where people are like, just throw bucktails. Bucktails catch fish all the time. And it's like eh, <laughs> the, Wis- no. the Wisco strain ones aren't uh, necessarily that uh, easily fooled. But, you know, the bucktails have their time and place. But like there's something about popping those deuces and dogs out of the water or out of the weeds that just really makes those fish I, they can't stand it and there's like one random off the wall day where i i caught two on a hella dog like i oh cool i don't know i just i just randomly was like oh, it's something different that'll get deeper <laughs> down to the weed line so i'll try it and like literally the first spot of the day i just had like three hours in the afternoon 
And it's like, I'll just try it, whatever. And I catch like a, a 36 on the first spot. And then, you know, I'm fishing a spot, um, you know, kind of on my way back that I usually hit. That's kind of a community hole. And I like hook up and I'm just like, oh God, this is, this is the one, like, this is the the fish. And like the rod is loaded and there's people like in a pontoon hollering. I'm just like, oh, stay pinned. And uh, <laughs> an I get, audience. I, I get it to the boat and I'm just like, I just like get deflated. And it's this like scrawny 37 inch male that I caught <laughs> earlier in the season. And it just like somehow got hooked through the belly. So here I'm oh, thinking I've no. got this like, 30 pound fish on there and it's it's like <laughs> dragging him awkwardly through the water so it just feels huge i was just like i mean i super jazzed to have a fish for sure but i was just like huh <laughs> especially because yeah. it's like historically kind of a big fish spot so just like you're a little deflated by the fact mm -hmm. that you got fooled so easily by one being fouled hooked but have, uh i was gonna say funny. have you have you tried doing that trick i feel like Taylor Flannery maybe made one and I know there was a, a video on I feel like uh, Michael Hansen did it on like a Today's Angler video where they did a blade out the back on a Dusa and then also making it like a heli Dusa with the blade on top mm -hmm. as well that would be interesting I, I wanted to dabble with it this year but I didn't Taylor showed me how to do it and I need to do it I haven't done it yeah. yet but it's not it's not super hard to to create one he said that he's definitely had some luck up there in your guys' area, chucking that around. I believe that because, I, I mean, we've had a lot of luck this summer on tubes with blades out the back. So I feel like just putting a blade on something that they see every day, like a Dusa or a Bulldog, could be the ticket that day. Because, I mean, especially fishing dirtier water, I find that those those blades help those fish key in on those lures a little bit better. Yeah, totally. And, like... When it comes to fishing blades for me, like the biggest thing that I look for is just conditions. You know, if it's like low light period or there's, you know, some clouds that come in out of nowhere or just a light breeze or something, something different. Um, that's usually where I, I turn to a bucktail versus some of the other stuff. Again, it's not something that I'm, I'm running all the time. Like I throw more bucktails in probably September as most people in Iowa and Wisconsin do than any other time of the year. But it's just one of those things where as I've grown in my musky experience, I've realized that like fishing the conditions generally yields more opportunities than just like even, even confidence at times. It's good to have confidence in something, but if you can like fish something you're confident in during the correct conditions, then you're more likely to get bit. Like it doesn't make any sense to fish top water in high skies just because you caught one at sunup uh, the day before on a prop bait. Like if you're fishing a prop bait at 2 PM, yeah, you might get that outlier that freaking just comes up and smokes it. But like, that's the exception and probably not the rule. <laughs> Hopefully that makes sense. You hear that Brian? <laughs> Try not to roll my eyes for that segment. <laughs> Brian, you, uh, you throwing top water in two weekends? Uh, maybe, late November. maybe. Hey, we've seen them up tight late November uh, post turnover. I mean, that's what Cisco's do in the fall. They kind of like belly on the surface. And... Yeah, that <laughs> flap tail. I'm sure I'll look at it. We'll see what I do. What? Uh... Hey, that's that's situational again. Like, you yeah, know, yeah. That's, that's, that's applying true. the the right tool to the matching the, the hatch. That's right. <laughs> right. Brian will be throwing it every day, all day. It it's the conditions. 
<laughs> Matt, what what kind of when you are throwing blades, what kind of blades are are you throwing? Um, I've been fortunate through Glenn to get my hands on a few Dadsons and mm. uh Blade with no I'd name. Like Blade with no name has been my top producing bucktail of all time and it's got some juju that I don't think people can replicate to be completely honest with you. Um, yeah. that thing just grinds in a way that drives those fish nuts. I've never seen muskies try and kill a bucktail. Like they kill that thing. It's just ridiculous. What, what is the, uh, I don't know the specs on that, that blade. Are you able to share that, share that dude? I mean, um, I mean, it's like a ten ten with a, a teaser off the back. Um, mm. I think that the, they vary the teasers and how they do it. So I wouldn't even be able to tell you, you know, sometimes it's, a blade sometimes it's you know how they align the blade so yeah um i'm very fortunate to be able to check some of those pretty much that's at, at this point pretty much all the blades i check are dad's and and yeah they haven't done me that's wrong legit. since it's quite amazing when you when you vary the bucktail presentation and you find out you know what they're honing in on like they still freaking chow bucktails i mean we had one this year that was money for us that gus tied up uh gus have you have you said what that was on the podcast uh, yet? i don't think so i oh. think i've kept that one really close to the chest <laughs> don't blame me there dude but yeah like it's crazy i mean i i kind of always just looked at bucktails just being in one box and that's just not the case like when you when you can find out what they're wanting in the the blade department you can really get on some pretty sweet bites. So good to hear that those Datsuns are our money. I'd I'd love to get my hands on one of those. That'd be sweet. Yeah, they're they're awesome, awesome tools. I I feel very fortunate to have a couple of them. Awesome. So I also have a question here, or maybe just like let us in on on how you do this. But I see that you've done a couple uh live bait pike with pike for muskie oh that's pretty yeah. cool we've wanted to maybe I, uh, dabble with that when where and why <laughs> i know I, i've watched your videos we definitely should uh when where and why do you use them or how do you like to use them anytime in northern wisconsin that i can dry drag a, a live pike behind the boat i do it um it doesn't matter what time of year whatever the conditions are if if i catch a hammer handle it's going out the back of the boat. Now, <laughs> that being said, there are, times, there are times where it's better than others. Um, it seems like right after, like in that post-spawn period where they're kind of transitioning more to open water, I think it's really, I think it's more effective there. And this is all just like conjecture on my part. But I think the reason for that is you have a lot of those little pike are still hanging pretty shallow from their own spawn but the water's cool enough that they can hang out in that cover. Whereas the muskies, they're done with their spawn. They're going out to the open water. They're going to go recover, do their thing. But then, you know, you present this, you know, 15 to 18 inch meal for them out there where they're hanging out, trying to recover and they can't help themselves. So I think that that's a large part of it because definitely like you can catch them all throughout the season uh, on those live pike, but the amount of bites that you're getting from those um, and how frequently you're getting them definitely falls off the further you get into the summer. 
No, you can catch them. I mean, I've had bites in July. I've had bites in August on live pike. It just, it just seems like for whatever reason, that transitional period from that post-spawn phase tends to be the best. That's really yeah. interesting. And do you just use a uh, typical quick strike rig you'd use for a sucker? Yep, I use a medium-sized uh, or Fuzzy's Clip-and-Go. Um, okay. And I basically try and position one um, behind the pectoral fin and then up along the back, you know, kind of hiding it along the back there. So that way if they head shoot it, then you got one up there. And then if they T-bone it, you got one there. Uh, the reason I do that is just because, like, um, the pike are a little bit longer. But I've had pike um, anywhere from 13 inches to, you know, 20 inches get eaten by muskies. So <laughs> if you think it's too big – see, that's the beauty of, of northern Wisconsin because, like, if if I catch pike bycatch, if they're, if they're small, they're getting used as bait. If they're too big to use for bait, I'm going to take them home and clean them and eat them myself. So yeah. that's just, <laughs> that's, it's the beauty of uh, being up there. So that's kind of, kind of handy. Like that one uh, in that video with Taylor, the first time that we filmed together, like, I don't know how long that pike was, 18 or 19 inches. Like it was one of the bigger ones that got chewed and, you know, it's a 41 incher that came up and smoked it off of a, a main lake point. So her main lake, um, I guess it would have been kind of a reef. That's cool. Bad day to be a pike. Bad <laughs> day to be a pike. <laughs> anytime you're on the water. That's right. <laughs> they're, they're too good. My buddy, my buddy Barry just uh, dropped me off some uh, some pickled pike last weekend because uh, we we cut a deal where he's like, if you keep all the pike, then and clean them, then you can have half of whatever pickling I do in the fall. I was like, done deal, man. So. That's good. I deal. don't know how I don't I don't know how much pike I dropped off to him, but it was probably ten or twelve fish worth. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of fish there. It's a lot of meat. So uh, will will you spend like the first like if you're going fishing, will you spend like time strictly going after a pike to rig up, or is it just like if you buy catch one, you'll throw it on? Are you filling up the well, live well with them just in case? I've done I've done both to be honest with you. Um, there was. Uh, so not this season, but last season when I was up there, like the the pike bite was just so out of control that like it was almost a waste of time to just fish for muskies versus fishing for pike. Because if you had a, a live pike down there, I mean, it was getting eaten in like 20 to 40 minutes and it was almost more beneficial for the limited time catching pike to use for bait versus actually musky fishing which was just like the most bonkers thing that I've ever experienced up there. That's crazy. To like It was like an out of body experience on the water every single day. But then, you know, you get one of those pike to use and you stick it down there where, you know, and that's the other thing is knowing, you know, I'm fishing these spots where I know that these fish are going to position versus I'm not like exploring water. It's like historically fish are here. So I'm going to position my boat where these fish are and drag something, you know, that's hurting in front of them and hope that they crush it. So it's not like it's, you know, me just like goofing around on the water. Like I'm purposefully hitting these spots with live bait at the times where they're supposed to eat. And, you know, having that benefit of being on the water, you can kind of figure out those windows. And 
part of that was figuring out that like that mid morning major was the deal for whatever reason that week. So I was averaging a fish a day for, you know, eight days, um, which was cool. But then once that bite kind of faded, then I was kind of scrambling because again, you know, with the limited time, if that bite goes away, then you're just floundering. Have you, uh, have you had any pike come up and T-bone another pike? Yeah, actually one of the <laughs> bigger pikes that I've gotten on that system was off of a pike. It's kind of bummed each about other. it, really. I mean, I was like in 20 foot of water and, you know, the, the bobber goes down, the rod goes off and I'm just like, okay, here we go. And then I set the hook and it's just like <clears throat> reeling in a wet sock and 30... 30- <laughs> 35 inch pike which is a beautiful fish up there for sure but it's just like ah man you were supposed to be like a like a 45 inch musky where you ate that thing (laughs) right that's hilarious all right it's a lot of pike talk but you know one quick thing (laughs) before we maybe go back to muskies you want to give the quick rundown on uh how to like legally use the pike because i know i think i said something maybe incorrectly in the last podcast i know that there's like specific regulations for specific lakes and the rules to go by for how or when you can rig a pike on a certain lake right i believe that you got to be north of or you got to be in the northern zone of wisconsin you can't use them in the southern zone Uh, i'd love to use them on the madison chain oh i'm sure that would be (laughs) i'm sure that would be money (laughs) i i have a I have a very big beef with Madison Chain Pike after our PMTT, so just had, <laughs> just had to sneak that in there as all. <laughs> but then I, I think certain lakes have different regulations because there's some lakes up there where there's, um, you know, a, a certain size limit or whatever. The the one that I fish the most, it's five pike per day, any size. Actually, it may not even, there may not even be a limit because they're trying to mitigate those pike numbers which I think that they're trying to do on the chip as well, but there may still be a possession and bag limit. Again, just, you just got to check your local regulations. But the biggest thing is, is anytime you're in Wisconsin or Iowa, you're using a game fish as bait, it counts to your daily possession limit. So if you get two pike eaten in a day and you want to take fish home to clean, you can only clean three pike that day. Like um, that's just how the regulations work. Perfect. Yeah, I just wanted to talk that over to clear it up so that the listeners know and they're not just going on any random lake and, you know, putting. Yeah, don't do it in Minnesota or Canada. Right. Right. (laughs) And be like, oh, those mob boys told us to put some pike on a line. Get them out there on planer boards and get the spread going. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, yeah, I got. Well, my final question here uh, before before we wrap things up is. if there, if there was a, you know, obviously everyone listening to this, go check out Matt's YouTube channel. Um, we'll plug all the details at the end. But if there was a video, maybe like a highlighted, whether it was from this year, from years past, that people should specifically like, this was a banger, go watch it, get a feel for the channel. Um, is there one out there? Is it, you know, few, kind of any, anything there? Uh, I mean, I've been... I've been very fortunate to film some really cool stuff. Um, you don't have last... to give one specific video, <laughs> but you can, you know, general, generally, I guess. But if there is a few specific ones. The the Malax stuff this year was pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, the Canada stuff, once I get it, will be really cool too. You know, I've, I've been fortunate, like the stuff with Taylor this spring was just phenomenal. 
Um, I've had some really cool, like one fish days and one offs and, um, you know, I caught a really nice fish, a couple really nice fish, um, down here. Um, I guess probably two of my favorites that I could touch on, which I'm going to get a little like emotional and sentimental here, but one of my, probably my favorite one that I've ever filmed, which the quality of the video is, uh, not great, but it kind of gets back to the original, uh, motivation for filming, which is just kind of like preserving some of the memories. So, uh, my wife's grandpa, who was one of the people who introduced me to muskie fishing, uh, last year passed away and his last muskie that he ever caught was with me. I had never trolled before, but like he was limited on what he could do. I mean, the dude was like 85 years old. So like, he just was not super mobile, you know, and basically trolling was the only option to get a rod in his hand. So we just decided to go for a boat ride, uh, during the, the mid afternoon, I think it was the major at that point in time. And I was like, screw it. We're just going to try and hit some of this main lake stuff. If it happens, it happens. If not, we'll just, you know, have a couple brews and, and enjoy a boat ride. But just like, lo and behold, the musky God smiled on us. And, uh, you know, the first spot we trolled around, Rod goes off and he catches a 44 and a half inch fish. Oh my God. Which is, wow. which is as big as he's ever caught out of that lake. It tied his personal best from that lake, the lake that he has fished, you know, 50 years, 60 years of his life. Um, wow. Which was just, I mean, it, it's impossible to articulate or put into words how cool that memory was. And then on top of that, so we get reset and do all the things. And then, you know, the next main lake point we hit, you know, Rod goes off again. And her grandma, who has caught, I don't know if she's even caught a muskie before in her life, caught a 36 incher, just, you know, <laughs> the rod. It was just insane. You know, that was just a six and a six and a three quarter inch custom X Twitch, you know, chaos show color from a few years ago. And it's just like, you know, you you could not script stuff like that. And then uh, one of my other favorites from recent times was literally the week after he passed away. Um, I happened to get some time away, you know, just as the family was doing their thing and just kind of together. I was able to sneak away for, for a day to do some fishing. And I caught a 48-incher on a Ridgeway literally like you know just a few days after he had passed and it's like holy cow you know that is just insane and you know my buddy barry went on to catch three others that day you know we went i think it was like four for five that day just something stupid and you just can't script stuff like that and it's one of those deals where you know people wouldn't believe you if if you didn't have it on camera you know for them to access so it's just and and those kinds of memories are just impossible to quantify or or put into any sort of rational perspective because it yeah it's it's just indescribable yeah i think it's easy it's really it this i think one of the biggest attractors to the sport is it's easy to have sentimental moments with these fish like as big of assholes as they can be they do do a good job at sometimes coming out and and doing their thing when you know, you need it most sometimes, which is always kind of great. You know, it's, it's a cool thing. And I've got like, 
my dad's first muskie on film i got his like biggest muskie on film like you just it's it's super cool stuff you just can't put a price on those memories once you have them on a hard drive and then they're uploaded and last forever so that's awesome yeah Yeah, that's super cool um i got one quick question kind of quickly bringing back to the baits i know we kind of talked about best ones on the year or maybe a couple cool ones from some uh, smaller batch bait manufacturers but was there one bait maybe it only caught one fish this year but it was just super random you didn't expect it to be that bite and it, it it's just like a very random lure that maybe helped put a fish in the bag for a video or maybe that day or something like that uh yeah i've got one now that i've had a second to think about it so um the lee lures six and a half inch death pause minnow um i picked one up a couple of years ago when he first came out with them and I was just like, this is cool bait. It's going to catch eventually. I just got to find the right application for it. Um, I, my good hunting buddy, Nate, and his dad were sharing the boat with me for a weekend. And uh, he got his first muskie on that six and a half inch death pause minnow. Don't ask me why. Don't ask me how. It was the only, the only bite we got all weekend. But it was that one. It was, I don't know if it was 34 or 35. I don't remember. But beautiful fish. First muskie. You know, it's one of those baits where you look at it and it's it's a when bait, not an if bait, and it mm-hmm. finally got cranked at the right time. So that was awesome. Sweet. Awesome. Well, um, we really can't thank you enough for coming on. This has been really fun. Um, excited to hopefully have you on again in the future. Um, you know, especially as you continue to do these really cool trips and shoot really cool footage. Uh for everyone that's listening that hasn't checked out your channel give a good way to, you know, get them there and what they're going to see. I mean, I, I know you've touched on it quite a bit, but, um, what's, what's the best way to kind of find you? Uh, my YouTube handle is at Matt Vavrock fishing. That's the easiest way to find me. Tons of musky stuff on there. There's some ice stuff on there and, um, some other multi-species fishing stuff too, but mostly muskies, especially at this point. Um, and then my Insta is just at Matt Vavrock and same with my Facebook. I, I share stuff and just try and, uh, put those memories out there for other people to maybe appreciate or enjoy as well. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's the main point and try and get uh, some attention to some bait makers that are doing some awesome stuff that maybe not as many people know about. Great. Well, we'll have to stay in, we'll have to stay in touch throughout the winter. Maybe uh, us fellas can slide down to Iowa and get out on the boat with you and in the spring or something before the Wisconsin season opens up if, if we're lucky. Heck yeah, dude. Uh, yeah, just keep me in the loop on that. We'll figure something out. Awesome. really appreciate you all having me on. That means a lot. Cool. Yeah, of course. Thanks for coming on, Matt. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, Matt, for coming on. Well, guys, that was an incredible interview with Matt. I learned a lot from him in a short amount of time. I think we're going to try and get him back on maybe for round two in the depths of winter. Uh, What what was your guys' biggest takeaway there? I know what mine was. I I know what mine was. I'll start with mine. Hopefully I don't steal both of yours. little ask the class type thing from Brian here. Let's see what y'all learned. uh, When we get up there in a couple weeks, I'm going to be very adamant about catching some pike. That's all I'll say. Hmm. Hmm. Not Cisco's though. We're not going to try that. 
Um, we'll, we'll get a smorgasbord. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll just get like we have one sucker out, one Cisco, and one Pike. See what they want. Yeah. <laughs> It's nice for you, Brian. You get to try to catch something, you know, <laughs> just try to feel something. Yeah. <laughs> I think what I learned about, and, and definitely I'm probably going to see this watching plenty more of his videos because I've, I've kind of been stockpiling videos this summer anyways, because I don't, I don't typically watch too much YouTube in the summer. I kind of save it for the depths of winter uh, for, you know, something to watch, but I really like, learning about these new baits that he's kind of got going with all these like small batch, uh, bait oh, yeah, manufacturers. right up that, my alley. Yeah. That's something kind of cool that I definitely want to look into and maybe support, uh, some of these companies and get some of these cool baits. Cause he's had, he's had some videos with some cool lures and I definitely maybe have my eye on that, uh, top line dipstick, which I think is kind of a, mm-hmm. like a modified jerkbait dive and rise lure which you know me i love my dive and rise so if i can have anything to kind of complement a suic bite you know we like our navins as well from chaos the more the merrier so that is definitely something that i kind of learned from there i've seen them but uh i, I like that he kind of talked about them hanging in the strike zone that's that can be money to to pull out some big temperamental full-bellied uh northern wisconsin beauties so that's my takeaway yeah i uh definitely agree with both of those i would say mine's a little bit less of like a takeaway from a tip or anything but i really appreciated i always i was really am interested hearing about how people kind of get these youtube channels up and running and how all of a sudden like they just find you know pretty good success on just being authentic, putting their stuff out. Next thing you know, they're getting a lot of, uh, you know, attention with what they're doing. So I kind of like, I always like hearing about that, you know, just kind of how it went from filming the odd fish to next thing, you know, having a full on channel. Um, so I appreciated him kind of sharing a little bit of behind the scenes on, on that stuff. I would say is my, uh, was a fun takeaway I had on top of both of what you guys shared. All right. Well, so, you know, diving in here, let's, uh, let's kind of clean this up. Any, any podcasting housekeeping items we want to touch on? I know we've gotten some great DMS on the, uh, mod page still and and your Instagram, Gus, people still sending in, uh, gene talk, sleeping in gene talk, which I love. Gene talk is uh, huge, it's really actually. become a, yeah, it's become a staple. We found some um, more so... gene sleepers. Uh, they're starting. <laughs> I might to come have out. to put something together for uh, for our little musky <laughs> bender here in a couple weekends. <laughs> you got like an outfit ready to go, like a Canadian tux, or what? What do you got? Yeah, I called up Sims. I let him know the situation. So, oh yeah, that's what I'm little, sure he did. Might, might have a little cussy. Uh, and they didn't leave you on red. Didn't leave you on red. <laughs> what was that southern accent? <laughs> <laughs> they didn't leave you on red, boy. They leave you on red. Nah, I ain't, I ain't heard back. You know, he's been leaving me on red. It was Abu Garcia real repair. <laughs> Damn, shout out. I just checked. I, I forgot and I just checked last night. I'm like, where the hell is this thing? Still no email. I'm going to call him this week and figure it out. About time you step up to the big leagues anyway. Get yourself a drinks. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> oh, hey. Whoa. Oh. <laughs> just beat that out. <laughs> Brian, who who is good enough for you in the the tackle industry? You're just a prima donna, man. 
Nah, nah. I'll tell you what, those boys over at uh, Bomb Squad Flat Tails, they got it going on. <laughs> There's a shout out. Shout like a out. Pathetic excuse to get a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> pathetic attempt. The only um, bait they like. Bomb Squad. All right, so season's starting to wrap up here, fellas. Um, I want to talk a little pod directional quick on where mm. we're heading, heading into the end of the year. I mean, I think from what it sounds like, we're going to try to keep things rolling. Obviously, we don't have the tournament updates and kind of week-by-week reports. There's just, you know, a lot of our listeners have kind of headed into deer season and put their boats away. I've been seeing a lot of those uh, stories on Instagram and whatnot. So season's wrapping up. I mean, obviously, we're going to try to get out for another time or two. Gus, you're still fishing until – every lake and violence is locked up but mm-hmm. as far as the podcast goes what are you thinking fellas are we just gonna keep trying to get some awesome guests on and give us something to chat about since i, I think we're gonna have to get a little little wild with it this winter um you know you can only stare at ice for so long and only reminisce on musky for so long so we're gonna have to get a little wild you know we we we, we got some guys lined up in the books um but i think we'll just have some fun with it and then as we get close to ice breaking dive back in into uh well you know some master class spring master class stuff four ways out from that right yeah, we'll get the we'll maybe, i'll, we'll, I'll we'll leave that mic. episode too. yeah we'll give you the mic that's all brian <laughs> <you> go <laughs> i will not be doing an ice fishing master class pod so <sighs> i'm sure you can run with that uh, <laughs> no i will not run with that <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna do we're gonna do guests in the winter that's gonna be our content i'm not gonna talk about walleyes and pike through the ice that <laughs> so as as, anything a, in that. as on a serious note as the season wraps up i mean what's the expectation for releases for the podcast you guys think moving forward i think we're going to try to keep this once a week clip going or do you think it's going to be maybe try to do it for as long as we can and then if you know the guests kind of start to spread out what, what are you thinking gus um i was just going to say yeah i think we can do this uh, week by week basis if we get a guest on uh, each and every week uh, I don't think it should be an issue at all I mean I'll have definitely plenty of time to edit them up and I think there's probably going to be a few episodes where uh, maybe we talk about new baits from the expos because I'm going to be you know kind of poking my head around on probably all four for sure three of the midwest uh expos the uh the minnesota chicago milwaukee and wausau show did you get yourself a booth in any of those uh no booth no booth brian no booth for me but i'll be probably rocking the mod hoodie uh better be i I, know i definitely will be rocking the mod hoodie i'll have probably a monday night musky league hat on Uh, i just became a member uh, not a member of the board. I'm an officer now of Monday secretary. Night Musky League. Yep, secretary of uh Monday Night Musky League, and I'll be, you know, rolling around doing stuff at the shows for that as well. So you can <laughs> you can find me, you can find me there, and if you recognize me, and don't be afraid to just, you know, stop me and start chatting muskies. I'd love to uh meet all the listeners and and yeah, that would be really cool. But uh, I think the direction of the pod is for sure gonna be uh more dictated by uh how many people we get to interview over the winter on uh when they release 
we won't do anything more than once a week. Uh, but I think we can get to that if we if we have guests on. And if you guys have any ideas for us, don't be shy. Feel free to send us some DMs on some ideas on what you guys want to hear throughout the winter months. Um, we'll probably put up a poll here once we get some snow on the ground and the lakes uh, ice up. Asking you guys for anything that you've been wanting to know or, I mean, shoot us guest recommendations you've been wanting to hear from, anything of that nature. Help us out in these long, cold months coming up. Well said. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. I think we can put a bow on this episode here. Uh, Just want to quick do a shameless plug on the on the sweatshirts, the pint glasses. Uh, They're on my guide service website, which is www.sugsfishing.com. There's still some available. Uh, Get them while supplies last. And um, yeah, just want to give a quick, I'll probably do this again, but quick shout out to all the, all the people this year for that. I shared the boat with one. Thank you very much. I had an absolute blast fishing with all of you and, and uh, teaching you as much as I know and, you know, helping you get on some fish, whether it was the first or the biggest or, you know, just getting a cool fish and the figure eight or something, something cool like that. So I appreciate you, all the listeners, followers, and uh, people that I've had in my boat. So thank you. And with that being said, if you guys don't have anything else to add here, Brian, you want to take it away? Max, you got anything else to yap about before I round this thing up? Take us away, Brian. Take us home. All right, guys. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Muskies on Tap. What an interview we had with Matt. Incredible guy. Great fisherman. A lot more to uncover with him down the road, so stay tuned with that. Uh, Good luck to everybody this weekend. It's going to be getting colder and colder. we got to figure out a way to keep this ice off the lake as long as possible i think we need to corral our jet ski friends from the fourth of july and just get them to burn up the lake for the next month and keep everybody out there fishing good idea so if we can form a coalition for that guys let me know peace